Professionally ambitious women really only have two options when it comes to their personal partners, a super supportive partner or no partner at all. Anything in between ends up being a morale and career sapping morass. So writes Aviva Wittenberg-Cox in her HBR article last year entitled, If You Can't Find a Spouse Who Supports Your Career, Stay Single. So today we are talking about dual career coupledom as we transition away from a world of the career-focused man and the family-focused woman, we explore some of the ways we might redesign carer and breadwinner roles so men and women can bring their best selves to both home and work. Grit in the Oyster with me, Penny DeVolk. A conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders, exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to tune out some of the noise, and tune into being the best leader you can be. So welcome to Black's Club Soho London. I'm joined this morning by two senior executives to explore this challenge of navigating, negotiating and managing the dual career family team. Welcome to Jeevan Dempsey of Five Rivers Consulting and Kerry Simmons, Marketing Director of Lee Hecht Harrison. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I wonder if you could both just kick off with a little bit about you and your story. Jeevan? Thank you, Penny. Um, so I've been uh, freelancing now for the last 13 years and I decided to do that just at the time when my children were quite small. So this particular issue is quite pertinent to me. I couldn't have done what I did without... <laughs> my partner and we had some serious career decisions to make when we did that and yeah we've, we've had some ups and downs through that time which I'm more than happy to, to share. Kerry? Mm. I now work full-time as a marketing director. My husband also works full-time and is also out of the country quite a lot on business and I have 12-year-old twins so I face this issue every single day and have done for at least the last 12 years. Yep. So what has been the biggest thing? This is, you know, I, I read out that quite strong quote from the HBR article by Viva Wittenberg-Cox. This is about understanding how we need to navigate new roles for men and women. Um, what was it about your partnership, Jeevan? You said you had some ups and downs. What were you trying to achieve and what were the big negotiating aspects that you felt you needed to land? From my perspective, it's probably around the redefinition of our roles because I'm traditionally, I was, I suppose, the mother, therefore I was always seen in our partnership as the primary caregiver. Um, but also, I became over time actually the one that was earning the more, most money. So our roles began to shift, but in my husband's mind, it didn't happen as fast as perhaps our roles were changing. So I was finding that I, my career was uh, developing, I was um, achieving and, and uh, moving up the career ladder. Um, and at the same time, I'd had my, my children by then, but my husband was kind of being a little bit left behind, I suppose, if that's a, uh, an appropriate way of doing it. But it was a massive shift for him to recognize that he needed to change himself. He comes from a very traditional background, and in his mind, he'd kind of seen himself as the primary breadwinner, the, the man of the house, I suppose, and that, that had to shift big time and very, very quickly. And I, 
in the early days, that was probably our biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. So what was it that Pete did to be able to move on from him feeling he needed to be the primary breadwinner? (laughs) It happened because he had no choice. I decided, for me, it was important that I explored um, my career as as a freelancer. I had opportunities. I really wanted to go and see if I could cut it. He was very, he was supportive and yet he was very worried and anxious around it, both in terms of his own role, having to give more time at home uh, with the children and worrying whether this was going to be something that would work for us together um, and whether the marriage would and, and, and the partnership would support that. But ultimately, we're both parents and the children are our joint responsibility and it was my time to go and explore what I wanted to do with my career. So we had to get used to the idea because it was going to happen irrespective of of whether he liked it or not. Luckily for me, he um, got on board with that idea after a bit of badgering. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's really powerful. You know, we need to remember that this is still pioneering stuff for men and women, how we work. It's really been only one generation since we've been able to move away from women being family-centred and men being career-centred. So there's this bigger shift for the men to be able to embrace that those identity shifts. What's been the experience, Kerry, for you and Richard? Um, I'd say same as Jeevan. It was having children that really upset the apple cart. I think pre-children, we were able to pursue our careers pretty much how, how we wanted to. The minute children came on the scene... We obviously had to do an awful lot of negotiation, both between us, but also with our workplaces as well. So I think the first kind of challenge started when I started to go back to work because I was at home. I ended up doing more of the housework, you know, the washing, all the things to do to keep a a family going. When I then started to go back to work part time, I very quickly found myself still doing the same amount of housework. And... That was the point at which we had to renegotiate. Okay, we seem to have defaulted now to a bit of a traditional woman does all the housework and childcare whilst doing the job part-time on top, um, whereas the guy goes out to work uh, and does little at home. So we had to renegotiate and kind of set expectations. And I think, to be fair, a lot of that was just habit. Mm. Um, I think because I went back to work slowly over time, it took me feeling quite... I felt quite resentful, I guess, at one point. And then I tried to understand why I realised it was because I had involuntarily taken on a lot of the extra workload at home. Mm. Once we had the conversation, he got it. It just never occurred to him that he needed to be doing more of the stuff at home. I mean, Mm. quite scarily, I guess, he thought he was doing quite a lot at home. (laughs) So I think that was the point at which we had to renegotiate our expectations as to what we were each bringing Mm-hmm. to to the party and as I have continued to increase my hours uh, it took me eight years to go back from two days a week up to full time we've pretty much had to renegotiate that every time one of us has had a shift um, in career stage and we still have to negotiate that frequently today um, I think after that kind of first hurdle we got better at, at the having the conversation and yeah. negotiating probably more with each other um, 
And negotiation makes it sound like a very formal thing. It wasn't an informal thing. It was just making sure we were communicating quite openly about where the stresses were. Because sometimes I think maybe we were operating so fast that we didn't realise there were stresses because we didn't take the time to think about what it was that was making life difficult. Mm. So once we had that conversation, things were a lot easier and continue to be easier as the children get older. As they get older. Yeah. So given your skills in negotiation and delegation at work, you're both very senior executives, how is it different when you negotiate and delegate at home? I, you call it a negotiation. I wouldn't necessarily call it a negotiation. <laughs> we sit down, we flick through our diaries, and we we just organise what needs to be done over the course of the week. It, it's not really a negotiation at all. It, it is what needs to be done. But... Um, there is a little bit of give and take because uh, my husband Pete travels quite a lot as well. I travel quite a lot, and one of us needs to um, be home to pick uh, Lily, my daughter, up from from school and to give her her tea and those sorts of things. Um, so it, it, it's, um, I suppose, over time we've kind of recognised that it's less about negotiation. It's just what makes practical sense given the the demands of both our our jobs really so yeah 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 it, it's it's what makes the most sense Who, who's got the most flexibility the sad about all of that I suppose is that you lose the spontaneity mm. and everything's got to be scheduled everything's got to be organized but it does mean that we've lost the spontaneity so I can't just drop everything because I know I need to go off to Zurich or whatever um, at a moment's notice those sorts of things uh, we, we, we find that kind of difficult. It would be a quite a disruptor. It, mm. it would, it would, and, and we would need to get into a, a serious conversation as to whether we could change our, juggle our diaries in order to accommodate something like that. Sometimes that can happen, sometimes it can't, and, and then that means that we're actually letting clients down. So that's where the, the problem is, that spontaneous uh, piece that sometimes can need more talking through. So what, what is it you trying to achieve or want to achieve in your work and home life? It's the overarching goal that you would look back on and go, yeah, we landed We landed that in spite of all of the negotiation and inverted commas and the scheduling and what is it that your work and home life you're trying to achieve? I think it's the all-important but so difficult to achieve balance. So both of us um, place a high priority on our careers and want to... Um, experience as much as we can in those respective areas but we also chose to have a family because we want to you know we want we want that as well and trying to find the right balance where we can have both of those things without compromising too much on either one um, is, is the biggest challenge that we face and I think you know there's often that phrase you can have it all but you can't have it all at the same time um, and we've certainly experienced that. We've often, we often call it passing the baton. So there's been times when um, there may be a period at, at my work or at his work which requires that extra effort, that extra uh, time away from home, where we, we accept that and support that because we know at some point that baton will be passed back. Um, and I think sometimes it's, again, just acknowledging that that is actually happening and that there will be an end to that. So that the baton will come back your way, and talking about and it. talking yeah. about that has has been really, yeah, absolutely, yeah. has been has been really helpful. Um, but we've definitely had to compromise along the way. There's been roles 
that we haven't been able to do because it has required um, one of us to relocate. Right. And we've decided to put the family and the other person's career above the importance of that one particular job. It's definitely not always been easy and it's probably been the thing that we have the most what would it be like type conversations. But for us, it's we know that if one of us had to give up our career in order to relocate or compromise to such an extent, not necessarily give up, but it would cause too much resentment and the balance would be out of sync. So there would be a, a personal cost in that ecosystem you've designed that would, would be too high. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've been lucky in a sense in that we have both had um, employers that have enabled us to work flexibly, work remotely as and when we can, which has certainly helped. I've got friends that do not have that mm. option and haven't had that option. And ultimately, one of them has had to give up their career or certainly put it on hold for a long period of time because they haven't been able to balance everything together. So I think the negotiating with um, our employers to be able to get that flexibility has been as important as the negotiations we've had between ourselves. And that's for both of you. I was talking to um, a couple the other day and he said, um, you know, oh gosh, Sarah has had a legitimate reason uh, to uh, jump off this flywheel. Uh, she had a baby. It was kind of interesting. He said, uh, you know, I've been relegated to breadwinner and the career cost to me of asking for flexible working is far greater than for her. And it was just a very interesting perspective. And that's genuinely how he felt. He's a man in his early 30s and they were doing this negotiation. Who wants to go back? So um, he felt that his employer was not going to be in a position to negotiate flexibility. What advice would you have you know, for, for the guys who feel like that? He wanted to be more of a uh, carer, but felt that actually breadwinner was his lot. It is an interesting dynamic because um, I suppose, as, as I kind of was saying, alluding to him right at the beginning, that the man traditionally is brought up to be the breadwinner but actually obviously there's a big massive shift now in society that when you become parents that you actually do want to to have and see your children growing up that's the whole point of having them you don't want to um, miss out because you're working very long hours I suppose if and, and I've always kind of thought that technology the whole point of technology and the kind of push that we're, we're, we're uh, and, and the drive for it is so that we can live our lives the way we want to live our lives we can work from home we can work from anywhere we want so that we can have our children around us so sometimes being a breadwinner if you are live if you're kind of working in those archaic and very traditional kind of environments which are demanding that you're there at nine o'clock at your desk uh, and you can't leave until five I would like to feel that those are on the wane because more and more technology is, is, is going to be changing and that maybe that there's a voice for men who particularly want to, who feel that they need to be the breadwinner um, to kind of demand and I think that voice will only get louder over time because technology is allowing us to do so. In, in my view and, and the, the data that I'm seeing is that there's quite a rise of uh, people who are now freelancing. That gig economy is huge, absolutely huge now. Therefore, more and more of us are stepping off that traditional um, working bandwagon in order that we can really have the life 
both working and personal around the, our circumstances, whether it's children or whether it's caregiving in another form in terms of elderly parents, um, there's a lot more shaping that we can do. So actually the gig economy will actually start to reshape and some, of the, some of those mindsets. Absolutely. Yeah. So those archaic kind of organizations that are still demanding that presenteeism that we used to have many years ago, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that we're going to see less and less of that as they start to move forward. I'll wait to be proved right or wrong in time, yeah. but I would really sincerely like to hope that that's happening. And if people are stuck, so then actually... So supporting and heralding the men who are actually absolutely. asking for flexible absolutely. working and prepared to be pioneers yeah. in absolutely. their own right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Join the gig economy, I say. <laughs> so what were, your, what were your partners dealing with in this kind of pioneering that you were around, you know, this dual career coupledom? which was, you know, new when you embarked on it. It still feels quite new to a lot of people because I still talk to a number of women who are struggling with that negotiation and, and the men. What were your partners dealing with? It probably, actually from our parents, was the most difficult. Um, again, I think maybe perhaps it's generational, but there was lots of um, comments about, oh, I don't just you know mainly to me about why don't you just stay at home you know you don't need you don't need the money you can stay at home it'll make life easier why are you creating all this extra stress for yourself that was both to me and to and to to Richard and then we also had the um the comments made more towards Richard where he would get praise for doing things that were just part and parcel of being a parent so for example if he um <laughs> You know, if if he had the children for like a couple of days while I went on a business trip, I would get questions about, well, how is he going to cope? Have you know, is has, has everything been done for him while he was away? Like he was some kind of babysitter as opposed to a parent. Whereas you know, he never got, uh, I never got asked that when when he was away, and that came from parents, from friends, um, never from people at work because obviously the people at work wouldn't necessarily know that, but. There was just this assumption that he wouldn't be able to cope. Yes. It's like he's a grown adult. We both have these children together. We both have shared responsibility, but somehow we would get a round of applause or be treated like a child um, looking after children. Um, and sometimes I called that out to people. And then sometimes I just didn't have the energy and thought, if they think that, then let them think that. But um, there were times when I used to look at his reaction and think, Okay, he's not as bothered by that comment as I am. Um, and it, it, it happened even with like social things. So, so, for example, if he wanted to go away at the weekend, people would think that was okay. But if I said, well, I was going up with friends for the weekend, again, people would be like, oh, who's looking after the children? It's like, he's not, he's, again, he's not looking after them. He's not a babysitter. He's a parent. Yes. So um that was that was very frustrating yeah. so um, in the minds of other people there was yeah. still a quite a strong social expectation that mm. you were the primary carer yeah sure and i think that happened uh, in work too right mm. so for example i felt i had to ask permission almost to work flexibly work remotely not necessarily in a formal way but i still felt that i had to ask if i could work from home on a particular day um 
in the early stages, whereas he wouldn't ask. He would just think that was his God-given right to do that. So he would just work from home and not tell his employers and nobody right. ever queried it or questioned it. There was just He just had this assumption and belief that it would be okay, and it was, because it just was. Um, and again, I'm not quite sure yeah, what, is, what drove what, what that. Is that. What is that about? Why was there less permission-seeking to do that for Richard, do you think, than yourself? I think when I ask the question, I immediately then would be perceived at work as a mother who works, whereas he is viewed, I think, primarily as somebody that works who has children. Right, okay. So again, it's the weight of the responsibility being assumed. Yeah. I think if, yeah, the perception would be that if if he were to ask, it would be because it was something that was desperately needed, where if it was I was to ask, it would be viewed as setting a precedent for mm. everybody. Mm. Very interesting. I can relate to that as well. But not only that, it's being the one with the children and not being able to cope. So there was the added pressure that actually the workplace was kind of viewing me almost like someone that um, was working from home because there was an element of... of of disorganisation in my life and disorganisation around the way I was managing things at home. So there was, it's you know, I've got a sick child, it happens, but because then I needed to work from home on that particular day, um, there was like, oh, well, it was like you were putting priorities. There was a judgment there. There was extreme judgment, which I think is probably still there today in generally in the workplace, but I'd like to think that we've moved beyond that, but I... I suspect that that's that's still very much a call for employers whenever whenever you do make that call that you need to work from home one day because your child's not very well, that you're just not coping very well. Interesting. Um, in Tiffany Dufu's great book called Drop the Ball, she talks about home control disease, or HCD, when we want our spouses to be doing more at home but find it difficult to let them and need to control everything from what the kids eat or dress the kids in or what food to buy. Do you recognise any of that? Completely. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. (laughs) I also recognise the manipulation and the mind games that the husbands sometimes do as well. I remember being away on a business trip and I called home and my son was about three years old at the time and... I asked him, what did you have for, what did you have for tea, didn't, darling? And he said, oh, chips and chocolate. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I know for a fact that, so I know that my husband was kind of doing what he wanted to do because he wanted to show that perhaps as a spouse he wasn't necessarily coping so that I would then step in and change my routine to make life easier for him. So, of course, I didn't do that because I know that chips he's... And chocolate? Well, you know, we can live with that. Absolutely. If it's chips and chocolate, when I get back, you can have broccoli again. (laughs) (laughs) Do you recognise any of that, Kerry? Yeah, I do, particularly when the the children are very small. Um, I think, again, I think part of that was having been on maternity leave where I was pretty much the you know only one at home for big chunks of the day that I set up routines to be able to Mm -hmm. manage um, twins so routine was kind of really important at that time um, and I got very good at that routine and therefore I expected him to fit into that routine and used to get quite frustrated when he didn't um, 
you know, you've had the whole, what, what are they wearing when you just, what, what have you dressed them in that for? Why have you, why have you put that over there? It doesn't belong there. Um, and it was actually my mum that she had me say something like that to him. She said, let, he's a parent, let him parent in his own way. As long as you agree on the important stuff, the small stuff just doesn't matter. You won't care about what they're wearing in a year's time. It's not important. And at the time, I remember think, looking at her thinking, oh, God, what does she know? Um, <laughs> She's only my mother. <laughs> but I think it happened enough times for me to realise that I just needed to let go. Yeah. I just needed to lose control a bit. Yeah. Um, I needed to lower my standards when it came to um, the way things were done and the housework yeah. and just because get over it. Done. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and I think once I kind of let go a bit, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot easier. Yeah. But it, oh, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, and I think it was, again, it took that going back to work and breaking... Those habits. Those habits. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was the key kind of driver for that not being so much of an issue. Get a cleaner. I was yeah, going to ask, cleaner. what are some of your other general strategies? You just said, get a cleaner. Get a cleaner. <laughs> what else? What else helped you? manage this dual career coupledom? I, I've got to admit that my parents came in absolutely really, really handy when it came to things like the summer holidays because you can't underestimate <laughs> those summer breaks and the Christmas breaks and Easter breaks, etc. That's when you really need that support network. And when my parents weren't around, I really felt it because you can't always rely on friends to help you out in such a long period of time. Um, so without that f family support, I think we would have been really crippled and we would have had to make some extra decisions with regards to the lifestyle and the work choices and the career choices that we made in life. So um, if it hadn't been for my mum and dad, I think being able to be there and it hadn't been for the technology as well, as I've already mentioned, mm -hmm. I think we would be in a very, very different place right now. Yeah, I agree. I think parental support has been a huge factor in both of us being able to um, manage careers and have a family. Um, I think we would be in a very different place, the same as Jeevan, if we, if we didn't have that support. Um, in terms of other things, I've already mentioned lowering your standards. Um, we were also in a lucky position to be able to throw money at the problem by you know, getting a cleaner, getting people in to do kind of jobs that we, we could do, but we, it would take away the time we actually had to spend as a family. Um, so that's been that's been a real kind of a real enabler for us. I think the other thing that's been really important is being able to spot when the other person just needs a break um, and not make a judgment call about it. So I think particularly in the early days, it often felt as if we were almost having a competition about who was the most tired. <laughs> or who had done the most putting the bins out or who had emptied the dishwasher and it just became it's almost a score like card, a, a scorecard absolutely yeah. and, I, and I think sometimes that became um, more of a thing than it than it absolutely should have been uh, and I think just being able to often when that became more of a thing it was because one of us felt a bit resentful or one of us felt that things were out of balance or one of us just really with everything going on just needed a break and being able to say that to the other person and say you know if you want to go off here or there whether it be for you know an afternoon a day or a weekend or whatever um, has been great and I think we can do that because we know it is mutual 
so both of us will get the opportunity to go and do whatever we need to do to be able to kind of reset re-energize um so it genuinely feels like there is over time there is a balance there as to what we both put in and what we both get out yeah and to not let that scorecard fuel <laughs> resentment but actually be an indicator that you need to have a conversation yeah yeah, yeah. So we were talking about pioneering times for both men and women, uh, remodeling carer roles, remodeling breadwinner roles. With the baby boomers and the aging population, carers, not just caring for children, but increasingly elder care is, uh, is a challenge. Have either of you dealt with that or confronting that? And how are the carer roles playing out in that respect for you? For me, it's becoming more and more apparent. My, my parents are now in their late 70s, and I can see the demands on me increasing because there are going to be some things that our parents are going to need from a caring perspective that I think ultimately I'm not going to be able to share with my husband. There's going to be things like I'm I'm really hoping it's not, but things like toileting and things like dressing, there are going to be those sort of dignity issues that right. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to bite the bullet on. And actually, the, the fact that I'm, I'm the female and he's the male and, and how we then support our parents as they get older, I think the gender issue is going to get even stronger. And I, I have a, I'm kind of getting my head around the fact that in another few more years, as my children grow and fly the nest, those responsibilities are going to come back from, but this time from my parents. And this time I'm not sure how in my mind we're going to split that caregiving based on um, who we are and what we can provide. I think it's going to be a more difficult conversation to have and it's not one I'm looking forward to, to be very frank with you. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you, Jeevan. Kerry, what's your sense of that? Um, our parents are not yet at the point where that is an issue. However, I do know that it's already playing more of a part in some of the decisions I'm making than it is, than it is in his. I talked earlier about relocating. One of the things when I've been thinking about the possibilities of doing that, I have thought about parents and what support they're going to need in, in a few years where that hadn't even crossed his mind. Um, or the assumption was that that it would be something that we would do later, like it was just in the never-never box. Um, again, I don't know whether that's a, a gender thing specifically or just a personality thing or just different relationships we have with our parents, but it was already influenced decisions that caring, um, that, that sense of duty for caring for family was already a much bigger part in my decision making than in right. his. So the, the weight of that was impacting your decision making to a greater extent. Yeah, yeah. I was already prematurely kind of making mm. some kind of decisions and anticipating things in my mind. Absolutely. And they would primarily be yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're an older generation, there's an expectation of, of the different roles that we're going to play because that's how they kind of, well, certainly how my parents kind of brought me up, that that that, that kind of the weight of, of, of care and responsibility would be on my shoulders. And I, I kind of feel that as they get older, there's going to be that expectation for me to live up to those. And it's not going to be something I'm just kind of like pass off because I can get someone else to do it because ultimately they're my parents. And that's really scaring me that if we think about how we move forward and we kind of break through the gender roles and gender responsibilities, suddenly they're going to come back and face me 
in a different way and through a different lens. And and I've got to admit that that's quite scary right in now. In a way that feels actually less negotiable Absolutely. than childcare. Absolutely. Mm. There's no negotiations on that because it just will not be possible. If the alternative is to stick them in a home, which actually even that isn't necessarily a, a, you know, a viable solution these days, it's going to have to be something that I'm going to have to face. Yeah. It feels like expectations follow us when it comes to caring throughout our lives. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the classic when the kids go to school and one of them is sick, they always call me rather than him, despite the fact that we're both listed uh, with, you know, as parents. They always, always call me first. I don't think there's ever been a time when they've ever called him first. It's just the expectation that it would be me that's either at home or me that will be able to, to get away from work. Mm-hmm. And I guess that just plays, carries on yeah. up through the generations. Yeah. My son is 21. He had flu. He's at university. He had flu. And who did he call me? <laughs> and he's 21. <laughs> mummy, mummy, he still calls me mummy. Mummy, I'm not feeling uh, very you, well. But would you have been disappointed if he didn't call you first? Because that's the challenge I have, right? In that sometimes I think, why are they always calling me? But then if they called him, my part of me would think, well, why didn't they call me? Yeah. So it's that whole, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm a contradiction in myself here. I'm wanting, I'm wanting equality in that respect. But then I, it comes back to that sense of control that I want to feel like I'm making all the decisions. Um, it's a bit like the parents' evening when I've not been able to go, or I've had to. I've got a clash with work, and he's been able to go. Often it's awful to say, but often my first instinct is, no, I need, I need to be there. He's more than capable of going, more than capable of having the conversation with the teachers and feeding everything back to me. But there is a sense that I have that no, I, I need to be there, and I have to often, you know, give myself a bit of a, yeah. a talking to and saying, no, I really don't need to do that. He is more than capable. It is a conundrum. I, when Charlie called me to say he wasn't very well, there was a sense of, oh. I'm still needed. I'm still mummy. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of a little bit surprised as to where that, that has actually come from. But it did. It, it kind of did. It kind of almost sparked this, this kind of maternal, yes, I've been successful. Mm. But of what? <laughs> being a great mother. Yeah, being a fantastic mother that he would call me first because he's not very well and is yeah. just expressing, because it's not as if I could run to him because he's the other side of the country. But it just that he kind of needed to reach out to me yeah. <laughs> to say he and wasn't very well. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do think, though, that you know we've, we've talked a lot during this session about the impact that children have had. But I've had conversations with friends that do not have children. They still have the same issues with their partners having a career and being a dual career partnership as well. Because there's still the conversations about how much time and energy is being put into the relationship and how much is being put at work, especially if it's not deemed to be equal or enough. Or again, comes back to one one needs or wants to relocate and the other one doesn't. So I think, you know, children definitely play a role. But I still think even without those in the mix, there are still big challenges that couples face when it comes to having uh, yeah, dual careers. Absolutely. And I think that it's sort of on steroids when you have children because it's thrown into relief. Suddenly you've got a carer role and a breadwinner role. There's some really interesting, if not chilling, data that as women um, earn more, they do more housework. Do you overcompensate, do you think? One can only assume that somewhere in the um, unconscious, you know, scorecard of who's important in this household and where the roles are, 
that somehow there's some sort of compensatory need to demonstrate that your role as homemaker, if not carer, so even as a homemaker, is still important and you will put in that muscle. Being on default is part of you know the challenge because whether it's hardwired or whether you know our social constructs have made it such you know those stereotypes that have been millennia in the making are very hard to stretch out of so our defaults will go back to what we were taught to do what we were trained to be as little girls and as little boys so a part of the challenge is breaking the model of and the mold of what a carer and a breadwinner looks like um, and making sure we're doing that with um, with really good care and not disempowering men who want to be carers or or you know giving a hard time to women who want to be breadwinners and supporting partnerships where they're trying to do both at the same time. Yeah. But it is you know it is new stuff. Those, so those stereotypes are just everywhere. I mentioned earlier about I experienced it with my parents so the older generation I, st I still get it now occasionally from from friends where again if, if we're out and people say oh who's looking after the, the children well Richard is he's not looking after them again he's obviously <laughs> their parent but never mind and I still get the oh isn't he good you know we've got to remember that these are have been millennia in the making these stereotypes and you know I'm sure you both have daughters um, will be very conscious of the you know gender stereotyping that they get very early on and trying to shift that yeah. um, but you know it's very all pervasive you yeah. know our society and education system does really reinforce a lot of that but at the same time we're seeing you know young girls and young boys being able to spread their wings and have their identity much more broadly defined than it was even 30 years ago that's a really valid point, actually, Penny, because, um, you know, much like the conversation we were having earlier in terms of the, the kind of ongoing march of feminization, that actually men are becoming a little bit softer, in my view, and they're becoming, maybe there's societies becoming a little bit more hom homogenous in terms of maybe these sort of identity roles are becoming more blurry. So, you know, we're becoming less defined by man, woman, actually, there's whole ray in between and I think that is actually probably a good thing and maybe over time we will actually not be having these kind of conversations because we can do whatever we want to do and not be determined by a particular role that's that's defined by any one gender yeah. let's hope so anyway so what are you most grateful for in your partner him just being there and him actually supporting um, my decisions around my career. He recognised that it was important to me. There was no pressure. Um, it wasn't easy, I've got to admit, it certainly wasn't easy, but actually um, he has always been there. And I think um, I'll always be grateful, I think, for him just to allow me to, well, actually, no, let me reverse on that. He didn't allow me to do anything. I wanted to do it and actually, he was there in terms of supporting those decisions that I made. He never stopped me in any way, although he may have kind of just pointed out that we've still got a mortgage to pay and those sorts of things. <laughs> but he <laughs> but he didn't stop me. And that's that's always what I will be grateful for. He's he let me make whichever decision I wanted to do, he let me make it. That's brilliant, Jeeva. What about you, Kerry? What are you most grateful for, Richard? 
Yeah, I think um, similar to Jeevan in that I can't fault how um, supportive he's been of me continuing my career. There's no doubt it would have made our, both of our lives easier, logistically easier, if I had stopped working um, or reduced uh, my hours a lot or taken a slightly easier in terms of hours career. Um, but I think he, he understands the fact that having a career is an important part of my identity. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we first got together, I had a career. It was something that he found attractive. Um, so understanding that and working towards us both being able to continue in that vein has been something that's just been at the center all the time. Um, he says the right thing, sometimes needs a bit of a nudge in order to like deliver on the actions, but I haven't felt as if it's just lip service. Yes. Um, and I think what that has also done has enabled him to be a great dad as well. So I think often it does feel like, he, again, he gets the praise for letting me have a career, whereas I don't get the praise for letting him have a career. Um, but he's a great dad too. Uh, and I think part of that is because he has had to play more of an equal role in yeah. terms of parental responsibility, as well as both of us playing an equal role when it comes to our careers. Trade-offs, you've talked a little bit about trade-offs and surprises and things changed when you had children. When you look at those trade-offs, was there anything that was particularly surprising? Because I often talk to women who go, gosh, I, I wasn't anticipating that, or I sort of got am ambushed by that notion. Was, were there any big surprises uh, in terms of the trade-offs that you made, that you weren't anticipating before you had kids? Pre-children, I had an idea of what working with children was like, yeah. but it was based on very little, right? I didn't have a huge amount of friends that, that were doing it at the time. Um, so I just used to see the superwoman people in the magazines that were having these great jobs and great careers. So I probably didn't think too much about what the reality would be like. I just assumed that other people were doing it and it would, it would be easy. However, I rapidly realized that having children was absolutely not easy. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily a career thing. It was more having children thing. A life thing. A life thing yeah. has been, that was the biggest kind of thing rather than necessarily the trade-offs when it comes to career. Just being, um, having to shift your identity towards being a parent, I think. I concur with the point that Carrie's just raised that I think that the trade-off has been that um, the, the surprise that I couldn't have it all, that the media sort of portrayed, as it was back then, the, the Nicola Horlicks of this world, having absolutely everything and being able to do it. Um, and then I was a bit surprised that I was sinking <laughs> when I first had my children. But then it soon became apparent that, you know, she had an army of a retinue of people around her, kind of managing her, her all, all, all her children. And, and she had a larger number of children than I did. Um, I think that the trade-off for me was kind of in my mind recognizing that I was never going to be one of those have-it-all mums. I had to be able, I had to give up so much in order to to retain the things that were important and the thing important at the time for me was 
to be happy in the in the career choices I was making and to advance in those career choices for me as well and not to be defined by the fact that I was uh, a woman or a mother I think that was the key thing that, that there were some sacrifices that had to be made um, so finally what advice would you have for other women and other men and organizations out there because you both referenced um, the ability for an organization to be flexible and to acknowledge that you know women and men are both carers and uh, and breadwinners what advice would you have for men women and organizations out there I would the first piece of advice I would give would be have the conversations about what your expectations are before you have children don't make any assumptions I think I made a lot of assumptions um, about how things would pan out um, assumptions about who would you know what would happen if what would happen if all the scenarios so I would yeah that would be my advice negotiate or agree rather than negotiate agree what the expectations are before you have children and then after keep having the conversation keep renegotiating what you both need and what you both expect more than you think you need to um, so overdo it overdo it yeah because again I think especially when you've got a lot going on and when you're both tired and when everything's a stress and everything's rushed it's too easy um, to to let that slip and for resentment or problems to arise I agree you've got to use your voice You've got to demand that uh, your employers are allowing you the space to do what you need to. We need, we're all of us parents, the majority of us recognise and, and the demands of childcare resonate with an awful lot of us. Whether you're a man, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you're a grandparent, it, it doesn't really matter. It's around challenging those preconceptions that businesses have that actually you've got to be there, you've got to be doing this and the other. We can all work around those if we're all working together. So use your voice and challenge the mould that you're expected to work within in your workplaces. It's for you to go and, uh, and to try and break those and you can only do so by using your voice and negotiating. It's a fantastic way to end things, Jeevan. Go in and break the mould. Absolutely. So I want to thank you both for coming in today, Jeevan Dempsey and Kerry Simmons, and to my big thank you to Pete and Richard as well. <laughs> who have obviously been a huge part of your um, powerful and successful careers and families. Thanks for coming in this morning. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and stay in touch. Penny at pennydevolk.com. Bye for now. <laughs>